there's, there's a story told about a truck driver that's on the way to a major city. And his truck breaks down. This truck driver is hauling a hundred penguins to the city zoo. This truck breaks down and for several hours he's on side of the road and finally another truck driver comes down the road. Denny, you'll appreciate this joke. Another truck driver is barreling down the road and he manages to flag this truck driver down and he asks the truck driver, he said, would you do me a favor? He said, I'll give you $500, but I have got to get these hundred penguins to the zoo in the next city. Will you take them to the zoo? And the truck driver, another truck driver says, well, Sure, I'd, I'll be glad to take him to the zoo. So he pays him $500, and, and off he goes with the 100 penguins. Finally, the other truck driver gets his truck back on the road, and he drives into the city, and as he's driving into the city, he sees the truck driver that he had turned over the 100, 100 penguins to crossing the road right in front of him. And following him in single file are 100 penguins. And he thinks, what is going on? So he jumps out of his truck and he goes and he says, man, I thought I gave you $500 to take these penguins to the zoo. And he said, I did. And we had enough money left over, now we're going to a movie. You know, it's important. And what this story illustrates is your need to make sure that your message is getting across. You need to make sure that what you're saying, the other person is hearing. This story illustrates that you always need to make clear and precise when you're trying to convey a need or explain something, even if you think what you're saying is absolutely clear, you need to make sure that the person who is either reading what you've written or listening to what you're saying understands exactly what's, what's being said and not interpreting it different from what you mean it. Matter of fact, I've had several times, actually I can't tell you how many times, that as I'm explaining Scripture to someone, they will say, well, that's your interpretation. That's, your, that's how you interpret that. We need to keep in mind, as we study the Word of God, that there is no prophecy, according to 2 Peter 1.20, there is no prophecy or scripture that is of private interpretation. In other words, you can't make the Word of God say what you want it to say in order to fit your particular circumstances or your particular doctrine. You can't twist it or you shouldn't twist the Word of God. It means what it says. The trouble that we get into sometimes as we study the Word of God is we try to make it say something that it shouldn't. We take it out of context. Now that's not to say that as you study the Word of God that the Word of God can't encourage you. It can't convict you. It cannot... Uh, comfort you. It cannot instruct you because it can do all of those things. That's what the Word of God is for. It is to reveal the true and living God to you. 
And it is to do all of those things. And as we study the Word of God, we need to make sure that people understood, uh, understand exactly what it is that we are saying, that we are clear, that we are precise on our teaching, because that's what we endeavor to do here at St. Louis Bible Fellowship, is to make sure that we preach and teach what God's Word says no more and no less. To add to the God's Word, to delete from God's Word is a serious, serious infraction. And you need to know that your pastor understands that how I handle, how I teach the Word of God, I am going to be held responsible for that before a living God. And I take that duty and responsibility seriously to try to add something that it does not say or delete something that it says, I take as a serious infraction. And so I want to say, thus saith the Lord. Here is what God's Word says. When, we, when, when the Word of God is silent, guess what I want to be? Silent. When the Word of God, uh, when, the, when the Bible provides no explanation or detail, then what we should not try to do is to speculate it's dangerous grounds when we try to start assuming the Word of God says something when God is really silent on that. That is especially true in the doctrine of heaven and hell. And what I want to do for the next two Sundays as we continue our study on our doctrinal position and what we believe as a church, I want us to talk about the doctrine of heaven and hell. I want us to see what is it that God's Word says. Now, Concerning hell, one, thing's, one thing I want to clear up right away. You need to understand that hell is not the abode of the devil. Hell is not where Satan dwells. That is not his domain. That is not where he wants to go. That is not where he says, hey, I'm in charge here. The last place on earth or in earth that Satan wants to go is in hell. He does not want to be cast into the lake of fire, and he is doing everything within his power to keep from going there, by the way. So one of the things you need to understand about hell, about the lake of, well, and that's going to be cast into the lake of fire, and we're going to be talking about that, is that it's not the domain of Satan. Now, before we get into the doctrine of heaven and hell, and like I said, we're going to be looking at that this Sunday and also next Sunday, there's a question that many of you have asked, and it concerns Satan, concerns uh, Lucifer. And I, I think it's a question we've all heard. We've probably all asked ourselves, and here's the question. If God is sovereign, and He is, and God knew, and He did, what Satan was going to do, if he understood the temptation that Eve was going to undergo in the garden, if he, God knew what havoc and chaos was going to be brought about because of Lucifer, then why did he create him? Why did he create him? The same question can be asked of Adam. If God knew that Adam was going to rebel against God and sin and bring about the fall of mankind, then why did God create him? Well, I think the answer is this. Are you ready for it? Everybody's sitting down. 
Bible doesn't say. The Bible doesn't say. So where the Bible is silent, guess what I'm going to be? Silent. I'm not going to speculate. I'm not going to try to assume and teach something. God is absolutely silent on the subject. And to try and explain would be merely speculation and assuming facts not based on biblical revelation. God's Word presents sin. God's Word presents the fall of Satan as something that happened. He tells us what happened, but He doesn't tell us why. And I believe by faith in what God's Word says concerning the fall of Satan, and I accept it by faith. God's Word does not tell us why Satan rebelled. God's Well, it, it does tell us that sin was found in him, but it does not tell us in the mind of God why he did what he did. Therefore, I'm not going to try to answer a question that's not based on biblical revelation. We simply do not know. Here's what I do know. God's ways are not my ways. Amen? His plans are not my plans. Well, I mean, I want my plans to line up according to God's plans, but I trust God in His infinite wisdom and in His knowledge to bring about His perfect plan and purpose. Now, when you go to Ephesians chapter 2, in Ephesians chapter 2, God gives us a hint. He gives us a, a little bit of insight into what's going on. And I think we can go to this scripture, and for me, this suffices. In Ephesians chapter 2, around verse 7, uh, actually 4 through 7, but verse 7 in, in especially, it talks about how the Lord has saved us, you know, the verses 8, 9, and 10 talk about, for by grace are you saved. But God, has, we are now seated with Christ in the heavenlies, that we were dead in our sins and our trespasses, and He has saved us. And it says, in order that, in the ages to come, He might show the exceeding riches of His grace. I have no idea how that all fits in. I have no idea how that all plays out with Satan's rebellion and fall and, and Adam's uh, open rebellion and, and fall. But I know that it has something to do with the fact that in the ages to come, the church, the body of Christ, is going to be instruments of God's praise. We are going to, we are going to be the thing that God points to and says, there you can see my grace and my mercy. So it has something to, to do with that. But anyway, I wanted to ask, answer that question because many of you have been asking and you, we've been talking about getting, it, getting to it. So that's not a cop-out. Hey, if I knew the answer, boy, I would, I'd be more than willing to share it with you. But God's Word is silent. So where God's Word is silent, guess what Rick Owsley is going to be? S silent. Okay. Now to our study on the doctrine of heaven and hell. You know, it amazes me at some of the positions that men take on hell, especially in an attempt to deny its existence. Now, 90, I just read a statistics that says that 90% of people, and I don't remember if it said Christians or just people, 90%, it must be Christians, 90% believe in a literal heaven. 
but only 25% believe in a literal hell. And I find this amazing, especially when the Bible is so clear in the reality and the horrors of a hell. The Bible is clear that there is a hell, that you don't want to go there. Even the Lord Jesus Christ himself spoke more about hell than he did heaven. The scriptures are clear. There is a literal hell. And to try to twist and turn and deny the fact or misinterpret scriptures to conclude that there is no hell, that there is no lake of fire, that there is no eternal punishment, that there is no eternal damnation, is to deny what the Bible clearly says. Matter of fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11. 2 Corinthians 5, 11 says, Knowing the terror of God, we persuade men. Our Lord believed in a literal hell. Turn to Mark, chapter 9. Mark, chapter 9. Look at verse 44. Well, let's start with verse 42. Now, we're not going to get actually into the doctrine and, and, and the degrees and things of that sort until next Sunday, but we're going to, this is more of an introduction. But just to show you that the Lord believed, Jesus Christ believed in a, in a literal hell, I believe in a literal hell. Verse 42, Mark chapter 9. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung about his, around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life maimed rather than having two hands to go into hell into the fire that shall never be quenched, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. If your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed rather than having two feet and be cast into hell, into the fire that shall never be quenched, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Verse 47, And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. You think the Lord believes there's a hell? Yeah. He's pretty adamant about the fact that there is, there is a hell. Look at Matthew chapter 23. Matthew tr chapter 23. Look at verse 33. This is the Lord talking to the Pharisees, to the religious leaders of the day there in Israel. Serpents, brood of vipers, how can you escape the condemnation of a state that's all in your mind? that's really here on earth. Is that what it says? No. How shall you escape the damnation of hell? The Lord believed there was a hell. Look at Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25, starting with verse 41. Then he shall also say to those on his left hand, Depart from me, you cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Look at verse 46 of the same chapter. And these shall go away unto everlasting punishment, but the righteous unto everlasting life. Do you believe that the Lord Jesus believed there was a hell? Yes, he did. Look at Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16. 
This is the rich man and Lazarus. Now, I do not believe this is a parable. In the Scriptures, when it's a parable, it says it's a parable. Here, it actually identifies a person. I believe that the Lord is giving us an insight into the doctrine of hell. And we'll be getting into that more next week. But the rich man and Lazarus. Isn't it amazing how the Lord knew the name of the person that belonged to him? The rich man, he just calls him the rich man. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. So they both go to the grave. They both go to Hades are to hell. And look at verse 23. And being, but there was two compartments. There's the compartment that is fire and brimstone, and then there was Abraham's bosom. But they both went to the grave. Verse 23. And being in torments in hell, in Hades, he lifted up his eyes, and he saw Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried and he said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and likewise Lazarus evil things, but now is he comforted and you are what? Tormented. And next week we're going to be going into that verse a little bit more in detail, that, that portion of Scripture. But the one thing that I want you to see this morning is that the rich man was in hell and he was tormented in flames. It was real and he wanted to be comfort, comforted. He, he was conscious. He knew what was going on around him and he was in dire straits. So do you think the Lord believes that there is a hell? Absolutely. Turn to 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians. Chapter 1, verse 3. Second Thessalonians, chapter 1, verse 3. But we are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting, because your faith grows exceedingly, and the love of every one of you all abounds toward each other, so that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and faith in all of your persecutions and tribulations that you endure which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be counted worthy the kingdom of God for which you also suffer. Since, and here it is, since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulations those who trouble you, and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with His mighty angels, in flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. God's Word is clear. There is a heaven and there is a hell. That hell was prepared for the Satan and his angels. Hell, unfortunately, is also there for those who reject the Lord Jesus Christ. We do not speculate. We do not wonder. We do not hesitate to stand and say, Thus saith the Lord, there is a literal hell. Hebrews 10.31 says that it is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. 
It is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of a living God, of the living God. Now, what's interesting is this week I talked with a lady who shared her testimony with me uh, just a little bit. And one of the things that she shared was the fact that what drew her to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ was the fear that she was going to die and go to hell. Now, my testimony is similar. The thing that drew me to Christ was the fact that I believed that there was a hell. I knew I was a sinner. And I knew that if I were to die, I would go to a literal hell. And it was out of that fear. It was a fact that I was frightened to death. That day and night it weighed weighed heavily on my heart and on my soul until I cried out to the Lord Jesus Christ finally when I heard the glorious gospel and how to escape the flames of hell. Matter of fact, this woman that shared with me this week uh, her testimony about how that she was scared to death, that it consumed her. Her family thought she was nuts. Her family thought that she was obsessed. Her family thought it was silly that she was so frightened. Oh, that more people would become scared and frightened and acknowledge the fact that there is a hell and it is just as real as the saving power of the Lord Jesus Christ. On July the 8th, 1741, a preacher by the name of Jonathan Edwards preached a sermon entitled, Sinners in the Hands of of an angry God. If you've never read that sermon, get it and read it. Matter of fact, I went online and reread it this week. You can do that. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. Jonathan Edwards says that there is nothing that keeps wicked men at any one moment out of hell but the mere pleasure of God. That was profound. Much of his sermon is profound. He presents God as a holy, righteous God who hates sin, whose wrath is kindled against sin. And the flames, uh, from reading that, you can just almost visualize the flames coming up, trying to reach and grab those who were lost, those who were in sin. And Jonathan Edwards paints a picture of of uh, uh, of an angry God with sinners dangling them over hell as a spider web, uh, uh, the, the strings almost like as thin, as thin and as flimsy as a spider web. And it was only by God's grace that kept even the lost from falling headlong into, into hell. Now there are certain aspects of the, of the message that doctrinally I disagree with. But I'll tell you, you know what that message brought about in the United States? Revival. Revival. People were confronted with the fact that there was a literal hell and they turned their lives over to the Lord Jesus Christ. He he preached the sermon that God is under no obligation of promise to save for the world stands condemned by sin. And as he preached, revival swept when he presented man's only and true hope and that is the Lord Jesus Christ to rescue us from that condemnation that according to John 3.17 we already stand under. Yet John 3.16, what a blessed truth that is. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But perish they will if they do not hear the gospel and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. But the next verse, the next verse says that the Lord doesn't condemn anyone to hell. 
that we stand condemned already by virtue of our relationship with Adam. And until we turn to the Lord Jesus Christ, God's remedy for that sin, God's remedy for that disconnect that we have with a holy, righteous God, until we turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and put our faith and trust in Him, hell is man's destination because he stands condemned. But God's offer is salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. People will perish without the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we've read, hell is a place made for the devil and his angels. It is eternal. It is unquenchable flames. As we read, hell is, a, is the right thing, the righteous thing for God to do. And remember, God does not condemn anyone, but man stands condemned by virtue of his relationship with Adam. The Scriptures teach there is a literal hell, that wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, according to Matthew seven thirteen. Do you believe God's Word? We believe God's Word. Do we believe that God's Word is true? Absolutely, we believe God's Word is true. And because we believe God's Word, because we embrace God's Word as being truth, and because we love, because the Lord Jesus has instructed us to love the way He loves, because we care, the next thing that we should do, we should love, we should care, and we should warn. We should warn. Let me share something with you. I don't like preaching on hell. I don't like to preach on hell. I'd much rather preach on God's grace, on God's mercy, on God's love. I don't really like telling people that there is a hell. But I have to tell you what God's Word says. Because I love you. Because I care for you. I have to tell you what God's Word says. Let me tell you what God's Word says in Revelation chapter 20. Turn there with me real quick. Revelation chapter 20. Revelation 20, verse, start with verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and Him who sat on it from whose face the earth and heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. This is the second now, this is the resurrection of the unjust. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works. Oh, do you want to be judged according to your works? Not me. You ever heard somebody talk about the fact, well, I don't believe that a loving God would send anybody to hell, and I'm really trying to hard to be, to be the best fellow I can be. Well, I just want God to just judge me according to what I've done here on earth. Oh, you don't want that. God's giving it to you. Here it is. God is judging them according to their works. What man wants, God's going to do. And their works are going to find them wanting. But they're judged here at the great white throne according to their works by the things which were written in the books. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and Hades, or death and hell, that compartment where the dead go now who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, they go into Hades. They go into hell waiting for the time when death and hell is going to be cast into the lake of fire. Two separate places. We're going to get into that all next week delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. 
Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And everyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Hell, the lake of fire, is absolutely real. God's word is very clear. I don't care how you twist it. I don't care how you turn it. I don't care how you try to interpret it. The fact remains that there is a literal hell to avoid. And the only way to avoid it is through the Lord Jesus Christ. In the context of the doctrine of hell, when you read Hebrews 2.3, it should jump out at us with an urgency which says, How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? The answer, you don't. You don't escape if you neglect the salvation that's in Christ. Listen, hell is absolutely real. But there's something that's just as real. Actually, it's more real. And that's the power of the Lord Jesus Christ to save the salvation that's offered by God through the Lord Jesus Christ, through His death on Calvary. His blood atones. His sacrifice pays the debt that you owe. The wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is a literal eternal existence in the lake of fire for those who do not put their faith and trust in Christ. But Christ died in order that you might have life, eternal life in heaven. There is a literal heaven. It is That eternal life is offered through Jesus Christ to all who believe. It is a gift of God. And I pray this morning that you have accepted that free gift. That you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you have been saved by the blood of the precious Lamb of God. That your sins are under the blood of Christ. That you have been saved, redeemed knowing that His body was broken for you, knowing that He died on a cross to pay the debt you owed, and now through Christ Jesus, you can have a personal relationship with a true and living God, and the moment you put your faith and trust in Him, your position changes from being a son of Adam to a son of God. You go from being in Adam to in Christ. You go from having hell being your destination to being seated with Christ in the heavenlies. That is your position. It is foolish, absolutely foolish, to reject God's marvelous, amazing grace when it's so freely offered. And I pray this morning that you've accepted Christ as your Savior. Let us pray. Father, This morning, as we pause to remember the Lord's death, Father, as we partake of the Lord's Supper here, Father, may we not forget, may we do this as a memorial that the Lord Jesus Christ went to Calvary and He was beaten. He was murdered. He shed His precious blood in order to purchase my redemption. Father, this morning we come admitting that the wages of sin is death. And we come rejoicing that Jesus Christ died in our place. And that, Father, by His blood, by His death, our offenses are all washed away. That, Father, through Christ Jesus, we can stand before You righteous 
and complete in Him. Father, thank You for that. Now, Father, I pray this morning that every person who is here knows You as their Savior. But I pray this morning, if there's someone here who does not know You, that at this moment, at this time, they will put their faith and trust in You. And we pray these things in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who is God. In His name, amen. This morning we're going to be participating.